0: Welcome, Savvy Investor, to Skyline Views.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Skyline Views. I'm Chris Mills. My guest today is entrepreneur, real estate developer, and practicing attorney, decades of experience here, Mr. Neil Greenbaum. Welcome, Neil.
2: Thank you, thanks for having
1: me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of information we're gonna get out of today's episode we're talking about holding companies and management companies. Uh, Neil is an expert guys on these various entities. So, um, I, uh, I have a little bit of, um, you know, like my family has had to put up with my LLCs and my, my list of accounts and all these things. I've got spreadsheets, keeping everything organized. My wife right. would kind of lean over my shoulder you know, from time to time, looking at these lists, and she just roll her eyes. Um, But it's all for a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Like as you scale, Mm -hmm. a lot of this is necessary. And so I wanna talk about best practices today and really get into it. So let's, um, if you could kind of introduce, you know, yourself, your company, what you do and, you know, I guess, let everyone know how you're an expert in this.
2: Sure. Thing. Okay. So um, I, I'm an attorney. I've been doing this for a long time, um, over 25 years. Uh, I have also a background in real estate development. I did a lot of condo development, especially in uh, Florida. And um, that, that business, condos development doesn't really exist anymore. The, uh, the thinking was that you would buy multifamily property and file condo docs and split it up and then you'd sell off the parts to individual end users. And that worked really, really well until like 2007, mm-hmm. 8, until the, the um, economy went down tubes, and that's because there was easy money to borrow. Not only easy money for the developer, but more importantly, easy money for the end user. So you would have um, y- your condo uh, documents would be accepted, and you y- that you would file, and then you would do sales, and because everybody get 100, 110 percent on the do- on you know on the on the valuation back then. So that doesn't really exist anymore. Most of the time now, I'm involved on the buying and selling ends, mostly with multifamily as an attorney. So, um, and it's my practice. I have offices in Florida and New York, but I do things nationally. And and, um, I see a lot of movement starting to happen now coming out of COVID. For COVID, it was a little dead there. And I understand that banks are more, um, they're questioning things more than they used to in terms of lending. So that's also putting a a little wrench in things. But I think we're coming out of it. And um, I'm optimistic that at least multifamily. I'm not so optimistic necessarily about you know retail office right now, but I think multifamily is still always the way to go in terms of uh, if you want safe, reliable commercial real estate. Very good.
1: So, someone going into that, say they're they're making a multifamily purchase, what should they be thinking thinking of ahead of time as far as holding companies, entities? Um, so I'm, I'm
2: a okay. So listen, I, I funny, I, I did a post on this on LinkedIn recently about single purpose entities. You know, when, when you buy a property, you know, a lot of people don't like to have, we discussed, don't like to have multiple entities, don't like to have 10 LLCs, don't like to file tax returns, don't like to get like K1s. The thing is, I think single purpose entities are the way to go. A lot of lenders require them because they sort of insulate the entity from doing any other business or owning any other thing and thereby not being, uh, have any, have any. You know, um, culpability with regard to any liability from anyone else. So, when you buy a a property, for the most part, I always form a new entity. Okay, we don't have to to save $250. That's not important when you're buying real estate. Trust me, I've seen everything. $10 million in real estate, but they want to save $200 on forming an entity. No, you form a new entity, it's a single purpose entity. That entity is going to own that property alone. You want to form a separate management company? Great. You want to do a separate third party entity to do something else? Great. But but that entity itself, the property itself is only going to be owned by that entity. So if there's any problem with management or this or that, it doesn't, It won't affect the entity, it won't affect the liability. And, and like I said before, a lot of commercial lenders want this. They don't want to be in a situation where somebody can come out of the woodwork because that company that owns the entity that owns the property has some other contract with somebody else and now there's liability against the property that they've loan on. It's obviously not the business that they're in. And I understand why they don't want to do that.
1: So what is the the time when it's time to think about this? Can you buy in your personal name and then switch? Or? Uh,
2: it's never, there's always enough time to do things. You don't have to buy in your personal name. I think buying in your personal name is not the way to go. Usually in the contract, you can go to contract in your personal name. That, that happens plenty, but you should have the, the, the right to assign freely to an entity owned by, by you, by that person signing the contract. We, 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 don't, we don't take title and then change title. There's no reason to do that. That's... There's plenty of time between contract and closing to take care of things. So totally. we, we, don't go, we never take things in a personal name, because you know what? When you take, remember, there's always a time lag. When you go, when you take title in something, you file a deed. Okay, so now, you know, Chris, you're going to own it by yourself. Oh, but now you're going to go, you know, you're going to transfer it over to your LLC. Well, it's a time lag. It's that it doesn't happen instantaneously all the time. It could take a week. If they're backed up because of COVID, it could take three weeks. Well, what happens if something happens during that three-week period? Guess who owns the property now? You. Right. Exactly. So it's not not worth doing
1: that. Yep. So what about, uh, you know, other structures? Obviously real estate is uh, kind of the, LLCs are the go-to for real estate. Is there any cause ever for, or a case to be made for a C-Corp or S-Corp?
2: In my mind, I don't see it. Um, Some people do uh, limited partnerships, especially if they're raising money. But I, I think LLC is... It offers the same benefits as a corporation and it's less formal. You don't need a board of directors, you don't need bylaws, you don't have to have meetings. It's just, it's it's an, it's an easier thing. And, and and the lenders, which is very important, are, are okay with it. I've, I've been using LLCs probably 90 plus percent for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm.
1: What are some other, uh, what are some best practices once everything's set up and running to not pierce the corporate veil, so to speak?
2: Okay, well, the number one practice is not to be a single member LLC. A single member LLC has a greater chance of having somebody pierce the corporate veil than anyone else, because when you're piercing the corporate veil, I just want to explain, you know, that's where, you know, somebody's going, when you have a corporation or an LLC, they limit limit liability of the person who owns them. They separate the business assets from the personal assets. So piercing the corporate veil is when somebody tries to prove that that entity is just a sham or an alter ego of the owner. So if there's only one owner, it's much easier to prove there's an alter ego. So if you, let's say you're going to be a single member for whatever reason, you have no, you're not married or you're not partners or no significant other that you want to put their name on. it. Okay. So in that instance, what I always say is 99% of the people who form LLCs probably never bother with operating agreements. An operating agreement is the operational document for an LLC, like a shareholder agreement is for a corporation. So it's very easy to form an LLC, pay if, pay if, you know, fill out a form, you know, pay whatever on credit card and you have an LLC. But when you don't have the operating agreement, that's when you're putting yourself in trouble. Like I always say, well, if somebody was trying to pierce the corporate veil, if I was trying to pierce the corporate veil let's say against you, okay, and you have a single member LLC, the first thing I ask for is a copy of your operating agreement. And if you're like, hum and, hum and I don't have one. Well, if you don't have an operating agreement, it's kind of almost like admitting like your LLC is, is garbage. I mean, come on. It's so easy to put an operating agreement together, especially for a single member. You know, there's no voting, there's no, it's all you. It, it, it takes so little time. So, I think if you're going to be a single member LLC, make sure you have all your operational documents, your operating agreement, make sure that you have all the resolutions you need. Run it like a company, even if it is you alone, okay, who owns the property in that LLC. The LLC is a separate entity from you, it's a separate legal entity, and you should treat it as such. The other way is to have other. Members, if you have a multi member LLC and it's run officially and it's formed well and it's operated well, it's hard to pierce the corporate veil because it's hard to show, you know, alter ego situation when there are multiple members.
1: Uh, any other tips for kind of shoring up uh, against liability or operational? Yeah, never
2: commingle funds. You have an LLC, you open up an LLC op- business account. You take in a check to the LLC, you deposit it in the business account, you don't deposit it in your own account. You don't take checks written out to you. For your wedding and put it into your business account because you think you get the kind of tax break. Don't mix the two up. Commingly funds, Carmeling funds fraud, and you know just treating your uh, your LLC like a piggy bank. If it's a single member LLC, those are the three ways to get in trouble and have the you know have the the uh, Pierce Coben bail against you.
1: So, comparing this to management companies now. So, uh, myself, like most investors, I believe. Um, even when I was just doing my own properties, I still had a separate management company. And then again, once the company was set up and I had this efficient running company, running it like a company, like you said, then I started taking on other clients. But even if someone didn't do that, what is the benefit of having that separate entity as a, a management company?
2: When you say management company, it was managing the property as a separate entity? Correct. It's like rent checks would be written to that entity? Uh, correct, yes. Okay. I mean, that, that's the best of both worlds because then, then if you think about it, the actual title holder, the entity that holds title to the property that owns the property has, has almost nothing to do with anybody but the bank. The only relationship that is going to, so the odds of having, having liability that's going to somehow affect the property is basically zero. You know, because, except if let's say there's a trip or fall or some kind of injury, but then you have insurance. But other than that, yeah, if people are writing checks out to the management company and the management company is the one that's contracting with third party um, providers, you know, let's say gardening or plumbing or electric, that, that's the best thing because that will definitely insulate the property from liability. And you want to make sure that the property is, that the entity that owns the property is is free of liability.
1: And... As far as structure for that goes, I mean, I had an LLC. Is there anything else you'd recommend? Yeah, listen,
2: it doesn't. I think that really matters at that point. I mean, from a tax perspective, if, you know, an LLC, an, an LLC is fine. Like, everyone says, I ask people, what kind of entity I have? I have an S Corp. But an S Corp is not an entity. An S Corp is just a tax designation. An mm-hmm. LLC mm-hmm. can be taxed like an S Corp. Correct. So yeah. I, I don't think it makes a difference from the management company standpoint.
1: Gotcha. Any other? Um, best practices or tips regarding the uh, management entities?
2: Well, I would keep things separate. And if you can have the rent checks written out to the management company, that's the best thing. And I would also, I mean, not everyone does this, but you obviously have to have requisite insurance on on the entity that owns the property, but I would have requisite insurance on the management company as well. You You know, it's it's not that expensive, but have some kind of errors and omissions, whatever you need, you know, general liability, whatever, you know, it'll probably cost you a few thousand dollars, but it's worth it. Um, and the thing is, one more thing, sorry. Sure, no, no. So one thing you can do, okay, because this doesn't matter at all. Yes, a single purpose entity for each property. So let's say you own 10 properties. So you can have 10 LLCs, one LLC owning each property. But you can have one management company LLC. There's no reason to have more than one. That's just, that's just you know, that, that's just being overly, you know, circumspect. There's no reason for it. If you have one management company that's legitimate, formed legitimately, operating legitimately, it has contracts with the third-party, you know, providers. It collects the rent. You can use the same management company for every property. In fact, you're, you're probably better off doing that because when you call the plumber for property number six, and he's also, he'll also be the plumber on property number one, two, three. You know, it just gives gives you it gives you um, more credence, more credibility with these third-party. You know, oh yeah, we heard of that management company. We deal with them on two other properties. So I would I would keep one entity for the management company. There's no reason to ever go more than that.
1: Gotcha. As far as mapping out a plan for, you know, say I want to start deploying this capital that I've been shoring up, I wasn't sure what was gonna happen with COVID, so I left it sitting on the sidelines, now I'm gonna start buying real estate. Um, are there best practices, uh, you know, from, from where you're sitting as to how to deploy, deploy capital, when, what order of things, you know, lining up your LLCs, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, remember,
2: I remember seeing something like, 25 years ago, and I'm dating myself. It was a business card for a realtor. And it said, um, like, um, what happened to the young man who waited for the price of real estate to come down? It was a picture of like a, of an old, like, homeless person, basically. Okay. So I had this, I had actually an argument with somebody once about timing real estate. Like, if you're waiting for COVID to be over with, you might have missed the boat already. I don't know. I mean, they had news today about Pfizer, the vaccine, the market was up there. You yeah. know, I, I'm, I don't believe everything, but I, I wouldn't tire the market. If, if you if you know an area and you know an asset type and you know what you wanna buy, then I don't think you have to wait for COVID to be over. Granted, if it's gonna be retail and you're at you know 35% occupancy, or it's gonna be office and you're at you know, 35% occupancy, that's a special situation you have to know what you're getting into. I wouldn't, I, I, per, I, I this is my advice, okay? I would not tell a first time Real estate investor to be buying office or retail now if they don't know how to run those types of assets, okay? Because yeah. it's a very difficult time. But if you're talking to that multifamily, I, I don't think it makes a difference. I mean, things obviously dipped as you know, COVID started in the spring. But um, there are problems with multifamily now in certain jurisdictions in terms of evictions. They have to be careful about, it. Mm-hmm. especially if you're not buying something with a lot of units. If you're buying like a duplex or three units, and you get one bad tenant, it causes you a lot of problems. In certain jurisdictions, I'm not sure about Maryland and Virginia now, but let's say um, New York or Florida, you you can't you can't evict somebody for non-payment rent at this point. In fact, I I personally, something I own, I had a tenant who didn't pay, so I couldn't do anything about non-payment rent. But then the lease expired during COVID. Once the lease expired, they weren't a tenant anymore, so I could I could evict them because they don't have a lease. So I got rid of possession. I got everything I needed from the court to give me possession, but the sheriff's not executing it. So I'm just waiting, but the sheriff's not kicking people out. So that's a, that's a moratorium due to COVID. So you have to be careful. I don't like timing things based upon COVID. I don't like making long-term decisions based upon COVID if COVID is not a long-term thing. If COVID is going to be eradicated in the next 12 months, 24 months, whatever it is, that means it's not a long-term thing. So to make... Ten-year plans on COVID to me doesn't make much sense. If it's not going to be here for most
1: of it. Circling back to uh, holding companies, you know, people are deploying capital right now, and everything. You're not a single member. If you do have a best friend, a partner, maybe even a spouse, um, can you talk about those uh, JV relationships and you know what they should have? uh, in place going forward.
2: Okay. I don't care if it's your college roommate, your, your, your fraternity brother, your, your best girl or whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> Remember business relationship is a business relationship. Okay. And more friendships and, and family members don't speak to each other due to bad business relationships than you can imagine. Okay. So you have to treat it as if it's a business relationship, just because it's your best friend or your neighbor or your brother or your sister doesn't mean you shouldn't have documents that you would have with strangers. Which is what you should have. So if you're going to have an LLC, you should have an operating agreement. It should be well drafted. It shouldn't be something you take off the internet by yourself. Because when you're dealing with real estate, you're dealing with money. You're making a capital investment. You have something with value. you thing that, that hopefully will appreciate value. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have a seven-figure or more piece of property or asset that you know you have some kind of cut-and-paste job you did off the internet yourself that doesn't make any sense. It's just not worth it. It's silly. If you're spending so much money on, on the investment and so much money to, to run the investment, then spend the money where you have to. Now, yes, I'm a lawyer. I'm biased. I get it. Okay, fine. But the point is, is that I've seen you know garbage documents for people who have real investments. It just doesn't make any sense. So whether it's a best friend or family, it doesn't matter. You have to treat it like a business, and it is a business. That's the bottom line.
1: Mm-hmm. So you're saying it's just the operating agreement? Or no. is there a document no,
2: everything. I mean i if you're if you're buying anything that involves money where you're gonna have a fight because people fight about money okay so anything that involves money you have to treat like a business it doesn't matter who your partners are if let's say you're working in the business you have to have, you know division of duties you do a and i do b you do x i do z you know that's you have to know you know how are we distributing money out of the business how are we getting paid when is it 50 50 well it depends upon what the documents say who made what investments maybe Maybe somebody wrote the check and the other person's doing sweat equity and is managing the property. My point is, this: when you have specificity, you usually can avoid conflict. And I tell this to people all the time. When things are vague, that's when you have conflict. So I would, um, I'd be very careful. It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter how close you are to the person. When it involves money and business, you're at a different relationship than you've been before. And something you have to be very wary of and you have to treat professionally.
0: Very
1: good. What are uh, some resources that you could point to if uh, someone wants to start doing their homework on these kinds of issues?
2: I don't have any books. Someone asked me the other day, what book can I read? I'm like, I wish I had a book. You know, I don't have a book. Um, listen, the internet's great. You can find whatever you want, but you have to be very careful also because not all information is good information or accurate information. I believe, especially when it comes if you're going to real estate, that you should rely on professionals. You need to have a good attorney. You need to have a good accountant. You need to have a good title company. You, you have to... If you're not managing yourself, you need to have a good management company. You have to form these relationships. I mean, like I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. So on LinkedIn, you can find people who do everything, people who can help you, people who you can be a sounding board. If you want to go into real estate, I mean off the top of my head, I can think of 10 people I didn't know. Who I, I still don't know because I've met them personally. That you know I can ask questions to if I if I have issues. Well, if I want to go into mobile home parks, I know who I'm calling. If I want to go into multifamily family in Kansas City, I know who I'm calling. If I want to go into you know office in California, I know who I'm calling. So I think it's more important than what book can I read because books can take you so far, is um, is to reach out to people and ask people, depending on where you're located or what kind of asset class or what, or what kind of asset type you want to go into. And those are the people you should pick their brains. People who usually give you time, you know, and you, you have to do some homework and, and the internet's a great resource, just you have to be careful about how you use it.
1: So, uh... Yeah, I know some of those people that you mentioned, like I I know who you're talking about, because they're like my people. <laughs> That's why I <laughs> said it
2: I said it that way, by the way. Right, right. I didn't drop names, but I can't drop
1: names. Probably tag them anyway. Um, so I guess real estate or otherwise business, like what uh, what does Neil read um, you know, any given day, any given weekend? Do you read for business, do you read for entertainment? Like
2: oh, what, um, what do you consider? So- I read a lot of newspapers. I still read papers. Um, the Wall Street Journal, I read every day. New York Times, I go online. The New York Post, which isn't such a high-flown paper, I love that paper. Um, but I, I, get, I get a million magazines from Real Deal, Fortune, Entrepreneur. Um, in terms of reading for pleasure, not not as much as I as I should or as I as yeah, I like to, but, but I do read. I do read up a lot on business and real estate and things like that.
1: So to rest and recharge, what what do you do? What does that look
2: like? It's funny. I, I think about that. I don't, um, I read, I read the Wall Street Journal today. It was, it was an old one about like how people are recharging. Um, so I wake up early every morning, I wake up 5 a.m. So on the weekends, I don't wake up 5 a.m. So that's helpful. Um, I think you have to take some time off. I, I take off at least one day a week and don't do anything. We regard really go out to business. And even though I, I work for myself and everything is, Everything is about business. Like I have people call me 10 o'clock at night and I take the phone call because I don't work nine to five when you work for yourself. I still think that something you have to set certain boundaries. I don't have boundaries in terms of that, but I have ter- boundaries say on weekends. I won't talk to somebody on, on this day or I'll do something like that. I think it's important because, you know, otherwise you do get burnt out, especially now COVID when we're not taking vacations necessarily, mm-hmm. like I'm not going anywhere different. So at least, you know, in your mind you have to go somewhere different.
1: Yeah, very good. So, if someone wants to learn more about you or your business, how can they uh, best get in touch with you?
2: They can find me on LinkedIn. I, I post every day. I'm there, uh, Neil Greenbaum. and you can reach out and message me and you know that's probably the best way to reach me.
1: Very good. All right. well, thanks again for all this really good information. and My uh, yeah, we'll be talking.
2: Thank you. Sure.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Skyline Views with Chris Mills. We hope you found this valuable and useful. Feel free to share it with friends or family that could benefit as well. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything. We really appreciate it. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Connect with us through thehaneycompany.com. See you next time. The information provided in this episode is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. Skyline Views, The Haney Company, their employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. Individuals are advised to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant for the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims paying ability of the insurer. Christopher Mills is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisor representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Neither Coastal Equities Incorporated nor Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated is affiliated with Skyline Views or the Haney Company. Advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, a U.S. SEC registered investment advisor. And securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated. Member Finn Recipek, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801.